As the journalist George Kennan descended into hell, he noticed the words of Christ hammered above the vermin-infested planks serving as beds. Come unto me, all ye labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The air, Kennan recorded, was saturated with the strong, peculiar odour that is characteristic of Siberian prisons. The stench of excrement mingled with the notes from the rotting wood floorboards and pungent, slightly ammoniacal exhalations from long, unwashed human bodies. The promise of the Son of God went unfulfilled in those prisons, except for people released by disease or despair. Historians Michael Haynes and Rumi Hassan estimate that 18 million people passed through the gulags, with the body of perhaps some 1.7 million ending up in unmarked pits claimed by the cold, sodden earth of the tiger. Last week, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in Federal Penitentiary 3, or the Polar Wolf, located in the town of Kharp, right on the Arctic Circle. The institution previously housed prisoners of the 301st Gulag, who were condemned to work on Joseph Stalin's doomed effort to build a railway line through northern Siberia. Since 2003, the Gulags have again become the pillars holding up Russia's regime. Tens of thousands of neo-Gulag prisoners feed the front lines of President Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine and sustain his military-industrial infrastructure, note investigative journalists Irina Borogan and Andrei Soldatov. In some cases, pardoned convicts have been guilty of such brutal crimes that their communities refuse to allow their burial as war heroes. The Russian prison population, estimated at roughly 420,000 two years ago, has fallen to an historic low of about 266,000, but only because convicts are released to aid the war effort. Even as prison camps empty though, the number of political prisoners has reached record levels. Alexei Navalny's story illustrates that Putin's neo-gulags are also instruments of political terror, raising the question of how distant post-Soviet Russia has really come from its brutal authoritarian past. Encircled by three layers of barbed wire fences and punctuated by watchtowers, Federal Penitentiary 6, also known as PEM 36, was the only gulag to survive the Soviet Union. Located near the city of Perm, the gulag was painstakingly preserved by a group of historians and political activists. It opened in 1995 as the Museum of the History of Political Repression. However, the government took over the museum in 2015. Exhibits on the terrors of the Stalin era were pulled down and museum guides were instructed to educate visitors instead on the heroic contributions of camp labour to the Soviet Union during the Second World War. The blossoming of democratic freedoms after the Soviet Union collapsed has often been seen as a kind of springtime for Russia. However, President Boris Yeltsin's regime concentrated powers in his person, sidelining institutions and parliament. Laws were flouted and corrupt oligarchs pillaged the state's resources, even as ordinary people's incomes were savaged. As the historian Haynes observed, five-year planned Stalinism gave way to what he calls market Stalinism. The economy changed, but not very much else. Former KGB Lieutenant Colonel Putin's rise to power in 2000 marked the consolidation of the market Stalinist order. 
talk of Stalinist terror became increasingly unfashionable and even unpatriotic, historian Masha Gessen has written in a beautifully illustrated history of the gulags in Putin's era. Though Putin was willing to concede excesses had taken place under Stalin, he criticized what he called the excessive demonization of the dictator. Famously obsessed with national greatness and convinced that the collapse of the Soviet Union reversed a millennium of Russian civilizational growth, Putin ordered the rewriting of Russian school textbooks. The new textbooks, historian Anya Free notes, included some content on Stalin's terror, but whitewashed the dictator's worst crimes. Felix Zerhinsky, the founder of the Soviet secret police, was praised in one textbook for his, I quote, creation of the professional education system and, quote again, restoration of the railroads. Not a word about his efforts to annihilate entire nationalities, let alone individuals. Large-scale protests in 2012 led Putin to crush the oligarchs who were the only force with the resources to undermine him. Energy oligarch Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who now lives in London and was at one time Russia's richest man, was dispatched to a Soviet-era prison camp in the remote uranium mining town of Krasnokamensk. Khodorkovsky's deputy, Platon Lebedev, also ended up in a federal penitentiary. Former minister Alexei Ulyuliev received five years too. Historian Yuzi Dimitrev, who discovered Stalin-era graves and played a key role in the Gulag Museum, was convicted as a pedophile. Many people think the charges and the trial were a farce. Filmmaker Oleg Sentsov said that during the five years he served in Karp's Federal Penitentiary 8, he was subjected to a quote, beatings, humiliation, electric shocks, being kept in a cold cell naked. That's in a place where the temperature can come down to minus 53. You can be sealed in the fetal position in an iron box, the filmmaker wrote, where you can hardly breathe and have to urinate on yourself. They routinely threaten to rape you when they are bullying you. I do not know when death will come for others. Nobel Prize winning nominated poet Vasily Stus wrote in his secret prison journal in 1985. But I feel it coming for me. Alexei Navalny, earlier believed to have been poisoned by Putin's intelligence services, almost certainly saw the angel of death above him too. Ever since the reign of Pyotr I Alexeyevich, or Peter the Great, the Tsar who laid the foundations for modern Russia after taking the throne in 1682, penal labour has played a key role in the making of Russia. Labour battalions built Peter the Great's navy, his cities and forts. Later, prisoners mined the silver, gold and lead that provided much of the court's wealth. Typhus, smallpox, syphilis regularly sight through the prison camp's populations. But there were always more to come. Even minor offences could earn 200 lashes of the birch rod or 25 lashes of the newt, a rawhide whip. The gulag clearly was not invented by Putin. Kennan, the journalist, published his account in 1891 during the reign of the arch-reactionary emperor Alexander III Alexander Alexandrovich Romanov. Tsarist-era prisoners included the historian Nikolai Kostomarov, the botanist Grigory Nikolaevich, Potanin and the famous writer Fedor Dostoevsky. Empress Catherine II, influenced by Enlightenment liberalism coming in from Western Europe, sought to end some of the worst savageries of the system 
like the slitting of prisoners' nostrils and the use of knuts against women. However, executioners, guards and administrators in distant Siberia often ignored her newfangled softy-soft rules. The full savagery of the camps, Kennan revealed, was unleashed against political dissidents. Among them, the revolutionary Nadeta Konstantinova Segida. Like the modern cultural activist Marina Alyokhina, who was jailed under Putin at a prison camp in Krasnoyarsk, Sigida back then staged hunger strikes to protest brutal physical punishments. In 1891, Sigida and six others committed suicide by poisoning. Fortunately, Alyokhina was released and lived in exile. Though, for those of you who've been reading the newspapers, you know, living in exile is not a guarantee, if you're Russian, of ending up dead, poisoned. For the most part, scholar Andrew Genty's records, the brutal regime did little to deter actual criminals. In 1872, a local newspaper reported the grisly murder of three nuns and a Jewish family in Tobolsk. Observing that, and I quote, a significant number of exiles are damaged people. Many here do not shed their former criminal professions, but commit new crimes and flee from punishment. True control of the Tsarist camps lay with gang leaders known then as Ivans, to whom power was subcontracted by the prison administration. This would continue even under Stalin, criminologist Federico Varese writes, when an elite caste of prisoners bound by quasi-monastic rules, the Vori Vizaconi, came to rule the camps. In return for their privileges, they ensured other prisoners worked. Following the great terror unleashed by Stalin in 1936, millions of its survivors were dispatched to its gulags and made slave labourers for the development of the country's east. After the Second World War, prison conditions actually slowly improved, with gulag authorities realising that sick and brutally beaten workers simply would not be strong enough to mine the earth or lay tracks. Like most systems of slave labour, the gulags were also an economic disaster, as the journalist and author Anne Applebaum has shown. Targets were rarely met by prison labour and sabotage by inaction was rampant. Most of Stalin's projects were also ill-conceived. For example, the Arctic railway line, which claims so many lives, was meant to connect nickel mines to a port near Igarka on the Arctic coast. However, that port could never be built because it turned out the region's marine geography was totally unsuitable for a deep water harbour. Even though most prisoners at the camps were small-time criminals, Stalin's gulag also housed large numbers of intellectuals and dissidents, like the rocket scientist Valentin Glushko, the geneticist Nikolai Resovsky, the composer Zaderatsky, even the ballerina Nina Asimova, and very famous writers like Varlam Shalamov and Alexander Solinetsin. Gulag survivor Yevgenia Ginsberg wrote, quote, In all that was happening in our country at that time, we were confronted with the monstrous and puzzling violation of human logic and the total absence of common sense. Late one afternoon in March 1953, the journalist Lev Razgon, held in Stalin's gulags from 1938 to 1942, and again from 1952 on, heard the sounds of heaven on the prison loudspeakers. There was, Razgan wrote, suddenly Bach, Handel, Beethoven, and then the prisoners heard the health announcement. The bastard is finished, a prison doctor said. No hope for him. And the prisoners began kissing one another, knowing Stalin was dead. 
Within months, Alexei Tikhonov records, one and a half million people were released on the orders of Stalin's infamous intelligence chief, Lavrenti Beria. Even though intellectuals and dissidents were slowly freed, Gulag authorities guilty of egregious crimes were also amnestied. Convict V. E. Milchkin, serving time for murdering a fellow prisoner, wrote an irate letter to the author Solzhenitsyn in 1962. Why are we murderers inside? People who have hanged and executed Soviet citizens were released under Article 58, the amnesty, while we have to stay in prison. Fair question. The famous playwright Bertolt Brecht said of Stalin's prisoners, the more innocent they are, the more they deserve to be shot. In the rear view mirror provided by history, it will be impossible to distinguish Vladimir Putin's face from those of the many tyrants who preceded him in holding that belief. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm a contributing editor at The Print. Thank you for joining Security Code.